This is Giving the Game Away with Cam Scott and Joel Barber. And our series of podcasts features interviews with a range of elite athletes, including Olympic gold medalists, international footballers, and BBC Sports Personality of the Year winners. This is a podcast that aims to explore the areas of an athlete's life that aren't often talked about, such as dealing with rejection, recovering from injuries, and handling the media. We also think there are so many lessons to learn from top-level sport, and by exploring the journeys of these athletes, we are hoping to show how those learnings can be applied to our own journeys, whether in sport or in our day-to-day lives. And coming up on today's episode... Um, you know, when I left the NF- for the NFL, um, a lot of people would think I was disgruntled with rugby and whatever, but I wasn't disgruntled with rugby. I'm just somebody who, you know, works hard, always wants to raise the bar. Um, and, you know, I was looking for a new challenge. Um, really being in rugby, I felt like it was this glass ceiling effect where I'd been at the top. I did, you know, England sevens, England men's team, the British and Irish Lions. Um, and so I had been at the top, but then there was never that, you know, right, you know, you're, you've earned a place in the England team. You're, you know, we're going to work with you now to, you know, see how far you can go in that. I just got to that point where it's, I'm not going to keep trying to like please this one man because that's not why I'm playing this game in the first place. I'm playing because the same reason why I was playing basketball, doing soccer or football, the same way I do music. I just want to be great at what I do. I want to entertain. And that's where my mindset changed. And it kind of, um, you know, broke the chains off a little bit. Mm. And I was able to like excel even more. We are back with a new series of the podcast. Christian Wade is the first episode of the new series. Cam and I have just spent the afternoon going and meeting him and spending a few hours with him. And to be honest, I'm pretty excited about this because he was just such an interesting guy with an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, I'd go as far as saying that was one of my favourite ever episodes of the podcast. Just because Christian is such an interesting guy, his story is so unique. And yeah, I mean, for those of you that don't know, He played rugby for England and the British and Irish Lions before travelling over to the States to play in the NFL. It's a really crazy journey and I loved hearing more about it. If you want to watch the episode, the full video of the conversation is on YouTube and I'll put the link to that in the episode description on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm really proud of this episode. I love the conversation we had with Christian and I'm sure it'll be one that all you will enjoy too. Yeah, I'm really excited about this episode too. And I'm just really excited about this series in general. We've got some amazing guests coming on in the coming weeks. So yeah, let's do it. Christian, thanks for coming on firstly, mate. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> to set the scene for everyone listening, we're here in High Wycombe, um, your hometown. You're back for a bit of a leisure trip. You're seeing some family, catching up with mates, but yeah, yeah. potentially could be a bit of business thrown in there as well. So how's your time been back home and uh, could it be the start of you being back in England for a, for a bit longer? Um, t- to be honest, who knows? <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's what I say, but you know, there's always a bit of time for business, especially um, with... You know, my little bit of background about me with my dad. He's a financial advisor by 
um, his his initial job was fi- as a financial advisor. So he's always um, instilled a lot of business practices in us from very young. Um, and so I've always kind of throughout my career always looked at, you know, ways which I can get into business and stuff like that. And so, you know, with the stage I'm in my career now, you know, business is definitely, you know, one of the main things, especially I have a lot of, of free time now. But, you know, being back in, in England, it's uh, really great to be here. Just the last three years since I left for the NFL, I've only been able to come back two or three times mm. and obviously mainly because of the pandemic. So, you know, it's always great to be home, um, you know, seeing friends and family. But as usual, I get too <laughs> too bogged down with trying to see everyone and I end up burning out. So um just trying to relax a little bit, man. <laughs> and obviously you've been teasing fans a little bit on Twitter. You've been retweeting <laughs> some articles, <laughs> a few even yeah. suggesting that you might be returning to rugby. Is that something that's genuinely on the cards? You obviously have recently left the NFL and the Bills. Could a return to rugby be on the cards for Christian Wade? I think honestly, yeah, there, there is a there is a um a big possibility that would be you know, around the corner. Um, you know, when I left the NF- for the NFL, um, a lot of people would think I was disgruntled with rugby and whatever, but I wasn't disgruntled with rugby. I'm just somebody who, you know, works hard, always wants to raise the bar. Um, and, you know, I was looking for a new challenge. Um, really being in rugby, I felt like it was this glass ceiling effect where I'd been at the top. I did, you know, England, sevens, England men's team, the British and Irish Lions. Um, and so I had been at the top, but then there was never that, you know, right, you know, you're, you're under place in the England team. You're, you know, we're going to work with you now to, you know, see how far you can go in that. And so I just, you know, was at the club doing stuff, breaking records, scoring tries every year, you know, being top try scorer or runner up. Um, and it was just like, well, you know, what else is there for me to do? Um, and um, so, yeah, I was looking for a new challenge. And, you know, that's kind of where the whole NFL story was birthed. And have you been having offers? I'm, I'm sure there's people interested in you in both rugby and American football, perhaps across the globe. Yeah. Have, have you been getting offers? Yeah, there's been a couple of offers and it's more it's more about interest because obviously I haven't played for three years. Um, people know what I can do. Um, there's probably a bit of speculation about, you know, whether I can still do those things, which... Um, you know, I was in the NFL. Um, I was scoring touchdowns in there whenever I got the opportunity. So I don't think there is much speculation, really. But um, there has been some offers that have come through interest. And I'm I'm really just intrigued to see, you know, what value teams think I can bring to them now. Because like I said, getting to the point where I was just like, well, there's nothing left for me to kind of prove or do in the sport you know, coming back now, I'm obviously going to have a different mindset of how I view it. Um, and it's, you know, it's it, it really, I need to have something that's kind of going to pull me in or, you know, something that's different to what I had before. Otherwise, in my eyes, it's going to look like or feel like I'm going backwards, you know? Mm. Yeah. Is there anywhere in particular that interests you? I know you've been throwing out a few feelers on Twitter, reading yeah. a few articles. With... What feelers did I put out though? <laughs> I saw eyes, eyes emoji with a little article <laughs> to Major League Rugby in America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm based in America now. Um, I'm married. Um, I ain't even got my ring on. (laughs) Sorry, babe. I'm working out, you know, I don't want the titanium to get scratched. But um, 
Yeah, I live in America now, married. She's um, born and bred in, in Queens, New York. And so, you know, the MLR is definitely an attraction for me. Um, you know, I'll be able to stay stateside. You know, they've got a, a an established league now with some great players, although they might have been players who are um, legends of the game rather than like current superstars. Um, it's still a, a very big sport in America that's growing rapidly because um, obviously all the other ones are already established. So there is a there is a big attraction there as well. But ultimately, you know, the Premiership is still doing its thing, although there seems to be a bit of a, a dip. I don't think there's the same buzz around it as there used to be. Um, but then obviously you've got the Japanese League, which is like mm. probably the, the most profitable right now. Um, a lot of players are, you know, settling over there. Um, and then you've got Super 15. So, and even France, there's France always, yeah, France yeah. as well, which, you know, there are, I say there's a bit of interest over there as well. But um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, man. We'll well, I, think, see. I think all of those leagues offer something slightly different. And obviously yeah. you can offer something new as well, coming from uh, America and playing mm -hmm. from uh, playing in a different sport. So it's, it's really exciting to see what you can bring back to the sport of rugby, yeah. I suppose. When do you think you'll have made your decision by? Um, well, this is it. If we go by everybody's seasons, <laughs> the Premiership is obviously coming to an end soon. So they'll be looking for players. Um, the MLR is coming to an end as well, but then they only play for five to six months. So their season doesn't start till January, February. Um, so if we was to put those into the equation, obviously France is the same as the Premiership. Um, and in the Japanese league, I think it's similar to the MLR. So, yeah, I guess we've got like six months or so, mm. unless somebody from the premiership, you know, can, um, you know, seize me being an integral part and bringing something of value to them, then there could be an opportunity there. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, other than that, we'll probably be looking at next year. Mm. And, yeah. and we're sure there's not some other sport that's going to come out of left field. You're not currently training hey. for the Major League Baseball or something <laughs> like that. It's not. Well, well nah, there is there is another sport. I mean, I, was, I would always love to play in the NBA, but I don't think I'm tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, actually talking about other sports, um, it wasn't actually rugby that was your first love. I, I know that mm. you were big into f your football early days. Also music as well, something that you're interested in. If we could delve into those early days, how was it then that you actually became a, a, a rugby player? What was it that brought you to the sport? So, um, yeah, like you said, I was, you know, I was a young kid growing up in High Wycombe. You know, we had youth clubs. Going back to the basketball, like that was my first love. Like I seen Space Jam. And I think I think it was Space Jam or maybe before that, but I've always loved basketball. I used to tell everybody, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a scholarship and then I'm gonna go to the NBA. Obviously, as I got older, I realized, yeah, getting a scholarship is very hard, and then getting to the NBA is even harder. So, you know, that kind of went out the window early doors, but it didn't didn't stop me from loving basketball. But I was doing taekwondo, um, football is obviously every young English kid's kind of dream. Um and, you know, American football wasn't even an equation because that's too far left for us. Um, but it wasn't until I went to the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe um, where I had a choice. I actually got into John Hamden first and um, because I got 120 on my 11 plus. They still do 11 plus now. 
It's been a while for us. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. too sure. <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. But yeah, it was I got 120. So, but then I appealed to go to RGS because you know my mom was like, "You, if you can go to this school," because at the time she was actually working there um, in the catering department for the boarding section. So eventually we appealed. I got into the school, but then when I when I got there, I was just like, "Well, where's where's the football? <laughs> like, where's the football team?" And it was like, there's no football team. We play rugby. I was like, rugby, like, what you mean diving around in the mud, getting all dirty and, you know, grabbing guys and stuff. I was like, I don't want to do that. But, you know, the competitive side of me came out when we had, um, they used to call it games. So we'd be out on the field and we're doing loads of races and I was just killing everybody, like killing them, killing them. So then the coaches were like, yo, we got to get this kid in the rugby team. And I was just like, I don't play rugby. I was, he was just like, yeah, just try it. So I tried it, and these times it's August, September, just before the school year starts. And I was like, it's quite cool. Like, catch the ball, run around everybody and score, and I'm the man. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is fun. So then I eventually made the A team. Didn't know what I was doing, but I was just running, scoring tries. Got to the colder months, and I was just like, yeah, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they had me, I, I think I put a picture up the other day of me, like on the wing. I think I saw like, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. mad cold, like everybody's running. I'm just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's really how I got into it, man. Just stumbled, upo stumbled upon it. Um, and then just every year I was playing, you know, we'd end up doing sevens. We used to do tens tournaments up in Bradford. Um, and then my younger cousin, actually, Stephen, um, Stephen Edwards, he's a Wickham boy as well. He was he had joined Marlow Club and he used to kill it. Like he knew exactly what he was doing. And I was like, yo, Steve, you gotta show me some stuff. So he started working with me, coaching me up and stuff. And then it was probably around year nine or year 10 when I started to take it a lot more serious. Cause I realized that, you know, I'm still playing football. These times I'm still playing football on a Sunday, Sunday league football. And I'm playing rugby games on a Saturday for the school. Um, just kind of seeing which one's going to take off because I still had the dream of, you know, premiership football and rugby. I was just doing it because it's a school thing and trying to be the man at school. But then when I realised you could play for England under 16s and I saw um, one of my friends, Jack Wallace. You remember Jack Wallace? Yeah, rugby, yeah. Rugby legend. He was playing for the 16s a year young and I was just like, I want to do that. You know what I mean? I was like, I want to do that. Like playing for England is sick. So... That's when I started, you know, working with my cousin. We started working together and just working on my left hand passing, you know, my tackling, all that stuff. And the year, the year after, I made the team as well. And then that's kind of where the the real passion for rugby started to really, you know, mm. begin inside me. And you know, just just kept working my way up from there, man. Yeah. A bit of a long story, I know, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to delve in. It's good to delve into the backstory. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So often, like what. How you grow up has an impact on like the player you become, obviously. Yeah. And I know we've spoken about how you haven't done many podcasts, but I've seen that you said you. I've seen you say that you just sort of fell in love with entertaining rather than the sport itself. And yeah. rugby for you was probably that. It was probably like an avenue for you to entertain and to to show your creativity. I guess. Yeah, for sure, man. Like I said, you know, it was involved in all sport. You know, I was doing music as well, so I'm a, I'm a drummer, just like my younger brother. Um, you know, we grew up in the church, so music was always a part of the family. My dad's a guitarist, my mum would sing. Um, even my uncle played the bass and the guitar as well. So, you know, I always, like you said, wanted to be involved with like entertaining or, 
you know, using my talents to to, to make people yeah, feel cool. good type of thing. So, you know, I was doing everything until I had to, you know, as you get older, you have to whittle it down. And, you know, I was still doing music, but then it was football and rugby. Then it became rugby because of the England stuff. And then yeah, yeah. slowly it was like, I think I stopped playing football under 15s. And it was just all rugby at that point and then a bit of music. And so, um, yeah, I, I really do love like entertaining. But I think it kind of went from like the entertainment side to, you know, really understanding in order for me to entertain, I need to be the best at what I do. And I've just been, I've just had my, you know, had a, uh, what do you call it? A chip on my shoulder ever since, you know, mm. just really delving into training, understanding all the small intricate stuff. So I, I could talk about training all day, man. Like I, my trainers who I work with closely have helped, you know, help develop my body, help with, um, you know, any injuries. I've had some bad injuries over the years, but you would never know because of the way I, I'm still able to bounce back and play. But that's all to do with, you know, how serious I take my training. And um, I think that's one thing that because I'm so laid back and relaxed, as you can see, um, people can't see that I would be that type of person. But I really am like mm. deep into that training stuff, bro. Do you think that's your biggest asset then, your ability to really push yourself to the limit and train really hard and work on yourself? I think so. I think so. But it's it's really about like training smarter rather than harder and really understanding the details behind it because unfortunately there's a lot of trainers out there who have learned like what they've learned and then they've never tried to add on top of that and um, I've been blessed and privileged to kind of come across a group of guys who are, have the same mindset I do so they're always trying to build on their training and stuff and just go deeper and deeper and so we we're able to grow together in, in, in that respect and um you know, it's definitely made me a better athlete. Um, you know, I used to have so many hamstring problems. Haven't pulled my hamstring since 2013. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just, you know, there's just levels to the type of stuff that I do now. And it's not no weird spiritual stuff, you know, some people think it's, <laughs> it's just- if That's what you're real, into, we can talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> real trick, it's real trick. I mean, it's not, spiritual stuff's not weird, but you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's science. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like real, like, just getting into science and understanding how the body is made and like really how we're supposed to, you know, train ourselves the right way to get, you know, the best out of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we had a little chat before about a tweet you'd put out today. And obviously now we're talking about Academy Rugby. Could you just tell us a little bit about that tweet? I can't remember it word for word, but it definitely had some interesting bits oh, to yeah. it. Oh yeah. So I said, um, what did I say? I've got it written down. You got it okay, written I can... down, I'm gonna pull it up real quick. Um, so you said, I remember years ago as a young academy player in a training session being pulled aside by the head coach and he said, is rugby union a business or a hobby? Yeah. So, well, so I kind of got to give the backstory behind it because I was reading some of the responses and there was like, oh, whoever that was is a Muppet. <laughs> Were you tempted to reply or not? Nah, nah, I'm never going <laughs> to reply to that, but... Um, Basically, we was I was obviously young myself and some of the other academy guys were trained with the first team, and um, ultimately, we weren't training to the standard that was required of us. And um, you know, it was probably our one of our first training sessions, and he pulled us to the side and said, "You know, is this you know is this a business or a hobby?" And we also 
we all kind of looked at each other was like, we kind of knew the answer, but we didn't want to say it because if it was wrong, this type of coach would go crazy us. <laughs> but we was like business. And he said, yeah, exactly. So you these, these are the things that you guys need to do so that when you're in training, we can get all the work done that's required. Um, and it really stuck with me because it was like, you know, from, you know, although I... Although I understood like, you know, that we're here, we get paid, you know, we still didn't really understand that little extra part. Like, you know, this is serious business. You can't come and be messing around or not doing what's required of you because, you know, there's money on the line effectively. And um, so I just wanted to ask that question just to kind of see what everyone's response was, because it was, I have, I do have follow-up questions, which will come later, but it's really trying to figure out you know, how can we make rugby profitable? Because obviously as owners of, you know, teams, you know, I've always known them to make a loss. But I just, I don't see why they should be making a loss because it's a great game. You know, people love it. Um, and I'm just kind of intrigued to see what people's responses are. Um, because, I, you know, especially with the kind of dip that it's taken right now, I think if, if there's ever going to be a time when we can like come together and, do something or put make changes basically then this would be the time to do it and i guess you're in a pretty good position to have uh, a thought on that having now played in a different sport yeah. and seeing how that operates from a business side of things as well yeah you can probably translate that over to rugby and see where this game could grow yeah. uh, and what can be done in terms of the commercial side of the sport i suppose yeah i mean like it you know you i always used to get it even before i had gone over there like oh this isn't the nfl but to me, that's like an excuse. Like no one's trying to say that it's the NFL, but you know, you can learn from other industries or other other businesses. That's how everybody grows. You know, you learn from somewhere and then you apply and take the pieces that, you know, apply to what you're doing to make you successful. So I think that, you know, there is, there is some stuff we can take from them. Of course, there isn't everything because it's a whole different beast altogether. But, you know, if you look at cricket, or even Formula One, you know, and where they are today compared to where they was before, you know, that's because they've taken pieces from other businesses to help them grow and make it as profitable as it is today. And I think that rugby needs to kind of jump on the bandwagon and start to look at how we can make it profitable because it's only going to benefit everybody. It's not, it's not going to, um, it's not going to um, exclude people if we all work together to figure out how we can make it profitable then everybody wins you know what I mean well I think if you look at cricket as you mentioned they introduced the 100 as a way of innovating the game Formula 1 you've also mentioned there introducing drive to survive as a way of growing participation yep. and interest in the sport maybe rugby needs to find their own version of drive to survive or the 100 to really propel the sport yeah. forward I mean you've seen uh, Beno Urbano he's started to direct um, documentaries and um, he's taking I think the recent one was based on the Harlequins and I think that's absolutely amazing, like for him to to start to carve out that his own lane there definitely opens up the game of rugby to allow more people to see it and to be more intrigued and like, you know, this is maybe something you can invest in and whatever, you know. So I, I, I really um I really do love what he's doing there, which is amazing. I think if we go back to your career on the pitch as well, um, you obviously uh rose through the ranks in the academy, got yourself in, in the, the mix at Wasps. 
and really flourished from such a young age. You were breaking records left, right and centre, scoring tries, picking up Player of the Year awards. Um, and then you were rewarded with an England and a Lions cap as well. How was that uh, at such a young age to deal with? It must have been amazing. Yeah, so um, I kind of struggled this with my whole career. Like, I'm actually, a, I'm a real, really humble, like, individual regardless of where I've been or what I've been able to achieve, mainly because of my parents and the upbringing that they have, you know, allowed us to have myself and my younger brother. So, you know, maybe it's for my background or whatever, but, you know, being in rugby and stuff, you know, it's always like people have always almost tried to like, um, I feel like they've been worried that I'm going to become this big headed, uncontrollable like individual and you know almost trying to step in as like they're my parents or whatever and it's it's kind of been annoying because it's like i don't need you to do that and you know if if i've achieved something you know you can congratulate me and stuff like that you don't need to you know kind of do it but not do it because you think it's gonna blow my head up um and so like when you say that it was just like it's it's quite easy for me to handle bro because you know like i said my mindset is just trying to be the best and try to get the most out of myself, my career, um, as, as you know, as much as I can. So, you know, working over the years, my first year in the league or playing premiership, um, I actually unfortunately got injured, but I was on course to be top try scorer of the league and I just missed out by one. So I missed three months and missed it by one. And then I went on to um, do the South African tour. The year after that, I... Um, made it onto the England tour and that was the, the Lions year. Um, and they had, I had, I don't know if you guys seen it, but we played Leinster at Adams Park in like a quarter final. And that was probably the furthest we'd been as a WASP team for years. And um, Warren Gatlin was at the game and I scored two tries and you had like Rob Carney playing fullback and stuff. And after that game, I got my letter through the post from the Lions which I didn't actually see for about two weeks. <laughs> so they actually do that. They send a letter rather yeah. than call you up. Or... Yeah, so they sent... That's crazy. Some, so like, I'm, I'm not sure how it usually works, but they had sent out a letter, like it's a big package. It would say like, congratulations, you've made the wider squad. And then there's all this other stuff that you need to sign because, you know, once they announce the squad, you need to be ready to go, like order your, your kit and your boots and your flights and all kinds of stuff insurance or whatever so i didn't actually see the the packet um and it was like my mom was like oh there's a letter <laughs> and i was just like kind of just put it down but then she's like no open it up this was like two weeks less it's been here for a while <laughs> opened it. it was like oh what like i was like wow because i was 22 so i was like what like mom like look at this crazy and i think that was the first year they was going to announce it like live on tv like and so no one knew if they were being gonna go on it or not apart from the guys who had the letter who knew to kind of like pay attention type thing so um yeah i think it was that game that basically got me involved in that stuff but um yeah i went on the england tour did the i was at that time i think chris ashton and a lot of the big dogs had been given a rest or some something like that so there was more of like you know the the next in line who were gonna kind of show what they can do and so there was myself, like Johnny May, Marlon Yard. Um, there was loads of, loads of guys that year um, who were coming through and stuff. And I played a good game the first one. 
And ultimately, I didn't make this, the tour initially, but because I was in the wider squad, you know, it was like, oh, obviously we'll go to the other guys from the wider squad. Now, it was still a surprise for me because I didn't know that would be the case, but literally three days or four days before, Brad Barrett had been called up from the England tour to go over there. And then I was like, oh, that's sick. Like, if I got called out, that would be lit, but they're never going to call me. Then the morning of the second game or our second test match, Lanny comes to the door, he's like, and I'm like, me and Mike Brown are sharing, I'll go, so, oh, boy, yo, it's, it's Lanny, bro. He's like, okay. is that Stuart Lancaster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuart Lancaster. He's like, open it. I was like, like, why is it coming? Because he never goes to anyone's rooms. Like, Stuart's one of those dudes who just keeps himself to himself <laughs> and he'll only speak to you, like, you know, in a dining table, but it's always kind of awkward kind of conversations anyway. Um, so I opened it and he goes, he's like, you, can I come in? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So he came in. And I was like, just me and Brownie. And he goes, oh, yeah, you've, um, you've been uh, selected for the Lions tour. You got to fly out, like, in a couple of hours. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah. I said, he's like, yeah, they asked me, like, how you getting on and stuff. And I said, you know, you've been great, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, they're going to fly you out. Johnny May is going to start instead of you now. And um, we're about to leave because we're literally leaving in like two hours. So the team left, I stayed and then the car came to pick me up. And I said, what about all my stuff? He's like, don't worry about that. The kit man will take it. When you get there, they're going to have all your kit ready. So it's crazy, man. I literally boarded a plane with uh, some bands because I had to stretch. It was about to be like a 27-hour flight, three different planes. So it was, yeah. And, and then he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, when you get there, you're starting the next game, which oh will God. be the day after. So I was like, what? <laughs> Crazy. It's a whirlwind. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, those those experiences will, always, will live with me forever. Um, and, you know, just in terms of, like I said, just to answer the question again, you know, I'm a very humbled guy and I just take things in my stride. Um, and I'm also a faith-based guy as well. So, you know, anything that comes, I feel is already preordained. Um, you know, and um, you know, I'm I'm really just always preparing, just being ready for whatever comes so that I can maximize mm -hmm. on those opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And if I'm not mistaken, you sort of went through two periods in your career. You had that, like you're saying, growing up at RGS and going through all the age groups, playing for England meant absolutely everything, and you were lucky enough yeah, to experience yeah. that. And then you had a few years after that where potentially were overlooked by England a little bit, mm -hmm. and your mindset kind of then shifted that Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to actually care about playing for England, set that as my sort of level of success. And then from that point, you found even more success in the club game. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. Like, you know, from this, we'll go back to the Lions stuff. That's when I was, you know, in my eyes at the height of, you know, my, my, uh, my rugby career. Like, okay, this is the beginning of, you know, this is what I've been working from 16, 15 towards, you know, playing at the highest level, you know, starting for England and, um, you know, came back and Autumn Internationals were coming up. So then obviously the other guys were back there, you Ashtons and whatever. And um, they decided to go to Ashton for the first game against Australia, which in turn we lost. And then, they, you know, the press was obviously slamming Lanny again as usual. Um, and then I feel like they was like, oh, Chris, I'm going to put you in. Of course, I pulled my hamstring. <laughs> so I missed the game. I was out. I think I did it on a Thursday and the game was on a Saturday. 
absolute nightmare, man. And um, literally after that, I never really had like an opportunity to to play for England again, regardless of how well I was playing. Um, so yeah, it was it was just one of them things where I, I continued to try and do my best. Like I said, had my hamstring. Then I actually did my foot later on that year. Mm. Kind of missed the whole season, so I missed that tour. And then um, came back the following year, was doing my thing. Um, and at the end of that year was kind of the beginning of the World Cup stuff. And so I had, you remember the Barbarians game when we yeah, killed yeah. them? Like You scored a few, didn't you? Yeah, I scored yeah. a hat-trick or maybe four. But... Um, yeah, we I, I absolutely blew that game away. We all played really well. Danny, Kyle, um, Marlon. There was all, literally all of us had a smashing game, and you know we had a great week leading up to it as well. And that was kind of our trial for the fifty-man World Cup squad. And after the game, as usual, no one's really saying anything to me. And um, you know, I, at this point, I'm old. I'm twenty-four. I've I'm used to all that stuff now. So I'm like, whatever. Go out, had a good time with the lads. It's the end of the season. And then um, about two weeks later, I think I said this in the press um, the other day, about two weeks later, I had a call from Lan Stuart Lancaster, which I didn't pick up. At that point, I'm like, why are you calling me? And I listened to the voicemail he left. He said, hey, mate, um, you know, good game the other day. Like, some good tries as usual. Um, but we're going to go with uh, Rocco, Rocco Dagooney. Um, for the 50-man squad, you know, because we want to see how he goes. You've had your opportunity. And in my head, I'm like, what do you mean? How can you go for, with somebody else in the squad? Because I've had my opportunity. Like, there's no there's no yeah, substitution yeah. after that. It's, yeah. And also, you took your opportunity. You, you yeah. scored tries. There's nothing more you could have done. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, you know, he probably should have worded that sentence a bit better. Like... You know, you did well and stuff, but we're gonna go with Rocco for the for the World Cup squad, you know. Um, you know, keep working and you know, hopefully in the in, in the next World Cup or whatever. But he tried to word it and that's what's just annoying with these like mind games and stuff and you know, that's why I didn't pick up because I knew it was gonna be some some BS yeah. to be honest. So yeah. it seems like really poor man management to just ignore you for a couple of weeks after having an amazing game, yeah, yeah, yeah. scoring a hat trick or whatever it was, and then just to leave you a voicemail to let you know that are you, yeah. they're giving someone else an opportunity it just seems really poor man, man management yeah. I mean at that point like I said like you know it's you know it's just a whole whirlwind of stuff the whole time and you know I just can't, at that point I was I was already over it and hence why I didn't pick the phone up and obviously it was a it was a home world cup the 2015 world yeah. cup it's probably something you'd set your sights on from Since quite a 16. young age from 16 yeah. so it must have been pretty devastating to have that taken away from you yeah. was that essentially a bit of the final straw for you in terms of your England career Oh yeah, for sure. Like from there, I was just like, well, if since a kid, all we want to do is play for England, that's all they kind of pushed down us. Like, you know, playing for England, playing for England. And then to make it, you know, kind of to affirm that as well, you come in and you realize, oh, well, I, I'm not going to get a boot deal unless I play for England. Or if I do get one, they're not going to pay me unless I'm playing games for England. Um, I'm not going to get any other sponsorships unless I'm playing for England. I'm not going to get the more money if I'm not playing for England because the clubs won't pay it. So it's just like, so everything is based around England. But then to play for England is based on one guy's decision whether you can play or not. Now, I'm not knocking any individual 
But at the same time, it's like, what are you basing your selections on? Because mm. if you've got somebody who's at the top of their game, killing everybody, you know, making fans on the edge of their seat the whole game, you know, all this is stuff that I'm reading, by the way. I'm not trying to big myself. <laughs> but like, it's just like, well, you know, and I don't even care about that stuff. All I care about is if you're the best player, you know, then that person is at least have an opportunity to, you know, show what they can do in that stage. If they're there and they can't reproduce that, then fair enough. But if it's just like, oh, you've got this kid doing all this stuff, but oh, now we just, he's he's not going to play for it. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But, you know, instead of knocking on the door all the time, I decided, like you were saying, like, you know what? Just to, just to show people that that doesn't, it's not even to show people really. I'm not even going to say that. I just got to that point where it's, I'm not going to keep trying to like please this one man because that's not why I'm playing this game in the first place. I'm playing because the same reason why I was playing basketball, doing soccer or football, the same way I do music. I just want to be great at what I do. I want to entertain. And that's where my mindset changed. And it kind of, um, you know, it broke the chains off a little bit. Mm. And I was able to like excel even more. Um, and the one one other thing I don't know if you guys have read about um, one of the one of the things that kind of used to to bug me as well when I first came in the league was I used to see people who were killing it and playing for England like eighteen nineteen like this for the men's team while I was in school and then when I came into the league the same guys you know they weren't really the same and I was like what's like what's happening and I was like are they old and, and I was like they're not even old they're only two three years older than me. And when I went through that whole process in 2015, it kind of clicked in my head and I was just like, oh, I get it now. Like mm -hmm. if, if your whole career has all been about playing for England and then that's kind of like being toyed with you or like pulled away or it's, it's, never, it's not a thing anymore. What, what do you have to play for anymore? Like what is your drive? I'm different because I'm like, that's not ever been really my drive or my only drive. But if that's been your only drive, then what, what else is there to play for? And I said, that's why these guys have kind of dropped off and don't really care anymore. Because yeah. it's just like, well, I'm going to get paid anyway. I'm going to get picked for my, my club team. And even if I didn't, it's all right, I still get paid. If they don't want me, I'll go somewhere else. You know what I mean? So then it's just like, that's, now, you, now you're not, the standard of like play is always going to be less than really what it can really be because there isn't that level of competition when you're, everybody's just trying to play for England. And so, yeah, man, once I, once the chains that came off, I was able to just, you know, really be myself some more, not worry about trying to please the media and how I'm speaking or what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. And I'm still in that, in that notion today where it's just like, well, even more so now, having left the game and looking back into, at rugby, I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of, allowed to happen or 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 we do certain things because we're trying to stay within the mold so that we can play for England and I think that's a that's a big issue man yeah yeah really definitely do. yeah well obviously compared to the 99% of people in professional rugby you were clearly on a different wavelength because your level of success wasn't playing for England you obviously open to a lot of new challenges and the most yeah. obvious one of which is going and moving to the NFL yeah, yeah. what was that first like conversation like with wasps or with your family or with your agent when you knocked on the door and said you know what i'm gonna bounce over to america and try and make it work in the nfl what was um, that like 
So obviously my family are very aware of all the stuff I've been sharing anyway, you know, my frustrations and, you know, I wouldn't say depression, but, you know, my downtime, my down moments and whatever. Um, and so the NFL actually wanted me to go earlier, like 20, 2015, 2016. And, um, you know, they approached me and stuff and I was just like, oh, yeah, that that looks pretty cool. But, you know, it wasn't the right time type of thing. I'm like, nah, I'm, I play rugby. This is what I do. These are my aspirations, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, that was that was that and then once i had you know the world cup stuff had gone by i had you know broken a few more records and you know having a good time i then got to the point where i was just like well there's not really anything more to, for me to do um you know I, I i can't really push myself anymore because it's like there isn't there's nothing else here to do type of thing and so i actually went to america after meeting my uh now wife and um there was a guy i was following on instagram who was training you know nfl guys nba guys mlb guys and doing a lot of footwork and speed stuff and i was like yo man i'm gonna be in america like you know where are you base he was like, i'm in new jersey i was like all right sweet i'm gonna come down let's do a session and obviously i'm playing rugby so he's planned it all out as a rugby session and you know he doesn't know rugby but he's been watching me as a fan and learning the way that we move. So he set it up pretty nice. And I've gone to this like big facility. It's like a warehouse, all the different like um, different sports. It's got basketball um, basketball hoops, basketball court, um, batting cage, the pitching cages. And um, he said, oh, I was like, yo, this is sick. Like I've never seen anything like it. And then we've just done like a session for an hour and a half. And I was like, this is sick. He's filmed it. Then he sent me the videos. And I'm like, yo, this this whole thing is just like crazy. And he's every, the whole time I'm there, he's just like, bro, like, if you ever thought about the NFL, like, you should try the NFL. And loads of guys in rugby have said this too, like, oh, be, you know, one day you should do the NFL. And it's just like, it's it's more like just loose chat because we all know, like, you know, that's how you're gonna get to the NFL. Like, it's so hard to get there. And then he was saying, I was like, yo, this is an American guy saying it. Like, he's like, yo, yeah, you could really do it, like. I've trained these guys, like, you move better than some of them. And and I was just like, literally the rest of the trip, I was just thinking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, this is sick. And then I remember when the guys approached me back in, you know, 2015, 2016, and I was just like, I wonder if, um, I wonder if the opportunity is kind of still there. And um, I'd obviously seen Christian Scotland Williamson and F.A. Obada and Alex Gray, you know, jump on this international pathway program. And I seen the success that they've had, and I was just like, "Yo, if I can get on the pathway program, that would be sick." So I called Christian, and you know, one thing led to another, and then ultimately, um, that's when I got to Wasp. I was just like, "Yo, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to do this," and they didn't like it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, you know, why are you gonna do that? It's dangerous, and yeah, you know, yeah. we won't let you go. We can't let you go, and blah blah. But ultimately, if I want to go. You know what I mean? I'm going to go and stuff. So, you know, we, we was doing a lot of um, two and the foreign negotiations or whatever. And then ultimately, um, it took a, a bit longer than expected. And that's why I ended up leaving so like abruptly in the beginning of the season rather than before the season started. So, um, you know, that wasn't obviously nice for the fans. It wasn't nice for me either with the boys and stuff because they didn't know anything about it. 
And, um, but yeah, just, you know, I wasn't really happy with the way it, it kind of came out, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, the boys understood. They they was like, you know, we wish you all the best, and like everyone's been rooting for me and stuff. And you know, they also understand the, you know, the stresses and the frustrations I've had throughout my whole career. So for them, there was just like, you know what, like you know, we we support everything that you're doing. You know, go smash it. Like if anyone if anyone can do it, it's gonna be you. And um, you know that the rest is history now. Mm. Well, I guess your, your issue ultimately wasn't really with Wasps. It was just the fact that your ultimate goal had been to play for England. And as soon as yeah. that's taken away from you for reasons outside of your control, yeah. what reason is there to, for you to stay in rugby and how are you yeah. going to stay motivated to be in rugby? So you wanted a new yeah. challenge, which is why you decided to switch sports. You came uh, to the NFL. If you just could tell us the listeners a, a little bit about that program that you were on, you were on because as I understand, it was basically a, a, a few months intensive yeah. program very difficult learning the game, learning a completely new sport to you. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And also like, what was the biggest difficulties in learning the game? Like, obviously you've got um, the new rules to learn. You've got the massive playbook to learn. You've got to learn how to run with a yeah. um, pads on. What was the most difficult thing? Um, the most difficult was, was the helmet actually, because the pads were... I mean, apart from putting them on, <laughs> which I had to help putting them on quite a few times. Um, uh, yeah, apart from that, this is, you know, it's just padding really, just like, you know, wearing body armor type thing. But the helmet, because of that being so different and changing the weight of your head, which controls quite a lot of the stuff you do. Um, yeah, that was a bit odd. But after two sessions, it was all right. But yeah, ultimately the player pathway program is... Um, a 16 week program, or well, then it was 16 weeks, um, where we went down to IMG, we'd stay on campus, and we'd have, you know, all our nutrition taken care of, our training taken care of, both in the gym and on the field. And we'd also have like classroom sessions as well. So we could learn, you know, the positions, like learn about defense, offense, special teams, uh, learn how to do analysis. So we'd watch video on, you know, specific players, um, and it was, it was, it was an amazing experience, man, just to kind of, it's almost like a crash course of what we were going to, um, come up against when we got to the league. So it was really scheduled the same. So we do Monday, Tuesday, we had training full days, like from the morning all the way to the evening. And then we would have Wednesday off, which was, you know, in the NFL, there's no days off, literally <laughs> Wednesdays off. But what it really is, is like swimming, lifting. Um, you just don't train on the field um, and you still have meetings and stuff. And then Thursday, Friday train, Saturdays, we would still do something light. Um, and then Sundays would be like the only day off, but you still do something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we did that for 16 weeks. At the end of that, we have like a combine. So just like what you see the NFL draft guys do, um, we have like the 40 yard dash, you know, the agility drills, um, then we'll have like the vertical jump, the bench press. Um, what else? Oh yeah, broad jump, standing broad jump. And then you'll switch over to like the field exercises where we'd run like some routes. Um, then we'd, for me as a running back, I have specific running back drills I would do. And then because of my kick return stuff in rugby as a winger fullback, I did some kickoffs. So I caught a couple of punts and a couple of kickoffs just to show that I could do that as well. So it was it was a very, very cool experience, man. Mm. IMG is like, 
sport heaven for yeah, high school. Yeah. For well, I say it's actually a high school now. So that it was originally a tennis academy. I think it's where Serena and uh, Venus used to go when they was younger. And now it's like the home of like all the best athletes, you know, Maria Sharapova, all those, you know, Osaka, she'll be there training. So we'd get to see them as well. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it's sport heaven. They've got like 16 soccer fields, uh, five football pitches. They've got lacrosse fields. They've got a running track, um, swimming, um, got even got like a golf course, a hotel. A Gatorade sports science lab <coughs> connected to like their state-of-the-art gym. Um, they've got uh, hot and cold tubs. They've got hyperbaric chambers. Like it's crazy. Mad, yeah. Imagine being like t- from 12 to 18 and that's your school. You've got all of that at your discretion, bro. Yeah. It's nuts. From having seen it as well, something that struck me is obviously sports so competitive in the UK, but in the US they're so obsessed with like the tangibles, aren't they? Yeah, so it's yeah. not even competition about touchdown or points scored yeah, it's literally yeah. competition about who's got the biggest hands yeah, like it's yeah. absolutely mad literally man like it was like uh i was i thought to say that in the combine there was like measuring the span of my hand and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just ask me if i can catch <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it uh it ultimately went well because you got picked up by the bills yeah yeah that must have been amazing finding out about that and and how was it like yeah getting involved with the bills yeah, it was incredible, man. Like they, the way they had set it up was almost like a draft for us. So we had, I think it was nine, nine guys in the program that year, and obviously um, only four could go through. And so once we got told, like you know, you're gonna go through as one of the guys in the pathway this year, that's obviously an amazing feeling in itself. But then what they said was. Um, in a couple of weeks, like you're gonna go home in a couple of weeks, you're gonna get a call from whoever is drafting you. And, um, you know, we knew the day that the call was coming. So they called me into the NFL headquarters in um, in London. And um, they sat me down, so they had the cameras and stuff. And um, yeah, we got the call picked up and he was just like, hello? I'm saying it in like a cockney accent. <laughs> <laughs> My accents are bad, so I don't want to do it. Surely, but he, if the last three years yeah. you spent that, you might have learned the American yeah, accent. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just corn. Like I, the way I sound is corny. Like, like, go on, give it a go. <laughs> but he was, um, it's, it's Brandon Bean. So um, he called. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> He's called me and he said, um, "How you doing, mate? Um, you know, this is Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills. You know, we want to congratulate you on." you know, being a part of the team. Can't wait to have you here. You know, looking forward to seeing you, you know. We saw your your tape and, you know, we've seen what you've done in rugby and stuff. So, you know, can't wait to have you. And literally, I think it was f- four days later, I was on the plane landing in Buffalo. And crazy thing is, like, I'm going into Buffalo just being kind of announced as coming. And I don't even know how they knew, but there was fans at the airport waiting to get my autograph and stuff. I was like, do you know who I am? Like, <laughs> you know, so it's, it just um, shocked me from the first day I was there. You know, Buffalo is an amazing place. You know, they have Bills Mafia, which is the fan base. Mm-hmm. They're just incredible, man. Like just behind you, everything you do, you know, um, supporting everything you do. And, um, you know, pro- probably the best fans in America, not that I've been everywhere, but from the games that we've played and where we travel to, you know, Bills Mafia is just untouchable, man. It's like they eat, sleep and breathe the Bills and it's like a way of life. Like if you're from Buffalo, 
or even Toronto as well. Like that's who you support. There's no, there's no bones about it. That's what Die Young used to say. Make no bones about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, from the outside, it looked like it was a real seamless transition in, into American football. I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, like your, the first touch of a competitive football, you scored the most ridiculous touchdown, <laughs> like 60 yard touchdown. So it seemed from the outside that you really took to it like a duck to water. Was it as seamless as it looked? Were there ever moments where you had doubts? Oh yeah, I have doubts every day, man. It's it's um, the the fo football is is no joke. Um, so from the day I landed there, you know, it's we're really like full on, um, you know, learning the playbook, and you know, for me it was really trying to learn it, just learning the drills. So I was standing at the back of the queue, watch everyone go in and try to copy the man in front. Um, and then obviously when we get to training camp. That's when the real work starts. And we're going from like 7 a.m. all the way to like 9 p.m. Literally, like it's nonstop. Um, apart from when we have lunch and dinner. But um, it's crazy, man. Weights in the morning, team meeting, outside on the field for two hours, have lunch. Then we're in meetings, reviewing what we did for practice in the morning. And then that'll be like offense. Then, you know, um, what do they call it now? Running backs, position groups. Then we'd go into offense again, and then um, we'll go special teams. Then we'd have a little break, come back in, offense. And instead of reviewing now, we're looking at, okay, what are we going to do the next day? So we're basically installing another like 60 plays. And then we'll go into the running back groups, look at in more detail so we understand what we're doing. Then special teams. Then we'll go outside, do walkthroughs. And then the walkthroughs will basically help us to understand and walk through the plays that we need to know for tomorrow. And once we finish that, we'd have dinner and it's bed. Then in the morning now, like I said, weights, lift, sorry, lift. So that's weights. Um, have our team meeting and then we're straight on the field ready to execute what we learned the day before. And that goes on for two weeks. So it's like hardcore, man. Compared to what we're used to in rugby, you know, rock up nine o'clock, have a little team meeting, you know, talk about what we're going to do in training, go and lift, do some units, have lunch, go outside, you know, train for an hour and a half and then the day done. Mm. Like this is, you know, it's black and white. Like it's completely different, way more demanding, like more mentally than physically. But obviously as the days go on, the physical side starts to, you know, build up. But when they get to like nine o'clock back to the room, it's just like yeah. bed, <laughs> literally hit the bed. You're just out, back up again. It's it's really demanding, man. So, you know, the whole experience for me was just crazy. But it's really, you know, helped me grow as a man, helped me grow as an athlete, and um, just really open open me up to like so much more as well in the, in the world of like elite sport, which yeah. is you know I'm I'm gonna be so so much um, so much better in terms of how I approach sports now. Um, not that I wasn't good before, but I'm, you know, taking it to a whole new level again, which is, it's incredible, yeah. but I'm just, you know, it's just so blessed, man. Yeah. And it sounds in NFL as well that like the main currency was film from playing in matches. Yeah. Which yeah. is obviously so different to rugby because in rugby, you can go on loan to a local team, you can play for reserves, yeah. whatever. But in NFL, you've literally got away for your one opportunity and try and get as much film out of that one opportunity as you can. So it yeah. must be incredibly pressured. That's the crazy part about it. It's like, you know, there aren't academies, there aren't, you know, loan teams. So it's like, you know, I always tell people that 
You know, you got to understand that getting to into the NFL is like the goal. You know, once you're there, it's just like, all right, now you're really just staying ready for whatever happens. And whether that's, and you have to find ways to stay ready. They're not giving you ways to stay ready, you know. All they care about is, right, we're running this play. You're in. All right, you're out. Because if, you know, you you do the huddle and they call the play, whatever, and say, ready, break. If you're running to the wrong place, all right, you're out. Mm. Next person in. So yeah, it's like, yeah. it's that cutthroat. So you're literally like. Stay ready. Yeah, so you don't have to get ready. Stay basically. ready. So whatever you have to do. You know, if you have to eat 10 bananas every morning, you know what I mean? If you have to go for a swim, if you have to, you know, go to bed at 5 p.m. or whatever, like whatever you need to do, when your number's called, you need to be ready to go. Mm. So, you know, I kind of didn't ask your, answer your questions, come back to me now. <laughs> but um, you have to stay ready, man. It's, it's a completely different ball game. And in terms of like, was it seamless? I had to go through all of that stuff. And still, you know, every day still having doubts because you got to imagine like, you know, my mind's ticking over. I'm tired. My body hurts. Am I even doing the drills right? You know, because you don't get a lot of feedback all the time. Because like I said, once you're there, it's just like, once you're there, it's expect, the reason you're there is because you know everything. We're not here to coach you. We're not here to tell you how to do stuff. All we're here to say is, this is the play, run it. If you are like a starter, they might say, all right, we want you to run it a bit like this. He's like, okay, cool. I've got a coach. You know what I mean? Just the way you're doing it rather than coaching you about it. You need to be ready at all times. So for me, it's real hard to come in to not really be coached and have to learn from the players around me and asking questions. And so every day I was just like, you know, am I doing the right thing? Was was it the right the right choice to leave rugby? Like, you know, is, is it even worth it? All of that stuff. But, you know, you got to understand that, you know, it's always the process which is the part that helps you get to the goal. And a lot of people always focus on the goal and forget about the process. And I guess in that moment, that's what I was doing, you know, like, oh, am I doing the right thing, doing the right thing? But then when we played that game now, and I scored that touchdown, I was just like, yeah. This 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 moment right here is making all the stress and everything worth it. This is make, just even if I didn't play another game after that, it was just like, just because of that, you know, leaving rugby, going through all of that in training camp, the doubts, you know, the long nights, being up late, having having my wife trying to help me learn the plays. Oh, babe, what's this? <laughs> like, you know, call this out for me and all that other stuff. It just kind of made everything worth it in that one that one moment. And then you see in the reaction from the sideline too, like, you know, it, it really was a big moment for me. And, um, you know, we're obviously going to cherish that forever now. Yeah, well, they, they can never take that away from you scoring yeah. a touchdown. And, yeah. uh, what I really liked you saying there is about enjoying the moment and mm -hmm. uh, enjoying the journey to get to your end goal. Because as you say, too many people focus on that end goal. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, if you think about the, the journey you go on to get there, you're having so many experiences, you're meeting so many people, you're learning so many lessons. So actually, that's just as important as the end destination, really. Yeah, it really is. And I think that, um, I think we, we do that quite a lot. You know, people talk about trying to live in the moment and I think that's what they're really talking about you know we always set goals and stuff but goals are almost designed to help you you know have a have a uh, have a direction which to travel in and to kind of be the thermostat of you know which you know are you on track or you're not on track and that's kind of how I view it now you know I've got a goal to you know play in the NFL so now what do I need to do to get there but if I didn't, if I didn't, um, or if all I focused on was that, 
when I get there, I'm going to have a new goal. But then it's like, oh, well, what about all the stuff that you did to get there? That's where the enjoyment comes. Because once you get there, you're, yeah, you're going to enjoy being in the NFL, but it's like, what about the stuff that came before it? So, you know, I now, I love the process. I think where I kind of learned that was through my injuries, to be honest. It sounds bad, but when I get injured, I I get excited. <laughs> I get excited. I'm I'm obviously upset, but I'm excited about the journey that's about to take place and that process of like rebuilding, you know, um, fixing all the little nuts and bolts that may have needed attention. Um, and ultimately, because of the team I have around me with my training, you know, when we're, when you're born, you're just using your arm and you're using your leg, so you never really focused on it. Um, but when you get injured, you're almost like at that stage right at the beginning where you was born again. But if you knew how to train right from the beginning, now you can make that that muscle or that whatever it is like so strong. And that's why I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Like my shoulder right now, <laughs> I feel like I could punch through walls, bro. It's crazy. It, it sounds like part of the process that you love is kind of being the underdog in a way, like in your rugby career, like people would, when you're younger would say you're too small and you yeah, ended up yeah. scoring over 80 tries in the prem and then Obviously you go to American football, everyone's thinking, oh, it's an English guy playing mm -hmm. rugby. He's an underdog, he's not gonna make it. And then you end up scoring a clutch down on your, on your first touch of the ball. It must be part of the process that you actually love. Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I've had a chip on my shoulder for that too. And that's obviously definitely helped with all the stuff like being the underdog, you know, not being from rugby, not, not having played or taking it serious until later, um, you know, being smaller than everyone. Um, you know, the way I play is quite unorthodox. You know, it's, it might be hard to copy what I do because it's not the normal way, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I do I do definitely enjoy the underdog. It's crazy that you um, kind of picked up on that. I kind of forgot, I forgot that um, that's that's been my drive, being the underdog and, you know, knowing that I have to work harder and always wanted to work harder. And even, even if I am like the best or I get to the top or, it doesn't matter where I am really in, in development or what sport I'm playing. It's just like, I've always, I'm always wanting more. Like I just, I just, when I look back at 60, I want to be able to be like, yeah, I gave it everything, man. Mm -hmm. Like I gave it everything. Well, at 60, you'd have been gutted. I think if you look back and had stayed in rugby, you'd have been absolutely gutted that you didn't yeah, yeah. make the jump across. For sure, for sure. And, um, I actually remember when I kind of turned it down the first time, the NFL stuff, you know, that kind of was playing in my mind a little bit as well. Like, like if I had went at that point, you know, what, what could have happened and stuff. So I knew when I kind of started feeling, a, or when I saw that there was an opportunity the second time around, I was there was no doubt in my mind I was going to go do it, like regardless, just because it was like, yeah. I guess you only regret the opportunities you don't take. Yeah. So by taking it, you, you're not going to regret it. You, you gave yeah. it your everything and it, it's worked out. You've had some amazing experiences from it and whatever's next for you, I'm mm -hmm. sure you're going to have some amazing experiences as well. So we've got just one final question for you here, Christian. 
um, which is a question that we're asking all of our guests for this series, because ultimately this podcast attempts to reveal secrets to success and the lessons learned from athletes' lives inside and outside of sport. So we're asking each of our guests to give the game away by revealing their single greatest learning, reflection or piece of advice from their journeys inside and outside of sport. So how would you give the game away, Christian? Give it the game. I feel like I gave the game away a couple of times in this uh, <laughs> <laughs> in this talk. Um, I think um, the I, I guess the the biggest thing that I am like been speaking about really, and because I I mentor a few of the younger guys, and I've always had a passion for like the next generation coming through, just because you know they're they're the future, and I knew how how it was for me coming through as well, you know, with the older guys, like how I saw them and the responses I had from them and the lack of from some people. Um, and, you know, the ones that did help, you know, it was it was massive for me and it's like helped me through my career. So um, the biggest thing that I would say is kind of, you know, really establishing like why you do what you do, you know, whether it's sport or, you know, podcasts or, you know, photography, video, whatever it is you're doing, you want to establish like why you're doing it and list those things. And then every day now you're looking to fulfill, you know, your dreams or whatever and try to tick, you know, the boxes of why you're doing it. You know what I mean? Because that's really going to be your driving force regardless of any of the things, any of the variable things you can't control. You know, as long as you are, you know why you're doing it then I believe you're always going to be successful. Um, and just remember that success is not determined by what other people say it is. You know, you determine what success is for yourself because, you know, you're, you're the measure of that. And I think that, um, yeah, that's probably the most important thing, bro. Like, you know, you define success for yourself and establish why you're doing what you want to do. And, you know, there's, you just can't go wrong. I love that. And yeah, it's really powerful. And it's something you've definitely demonstrated throughout your whole career and everything you've put your mind to. You've uh, you've really set those uh, parameters for yourself. And I'm sure you will do in the next chapter of your life as well. I mean, thank you so much for coming on. It's been amazing to chat to you. It's been amazing to chat to someone who's achieved so much in two different sports. Um, and yeah, personally, uh, I'd love you to go out there and try and beat Chris Ashen's record. I think <laughs> I think that's what I want to see next. But uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, um, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This has been fun, real fun. And, um, you know, if you want me to come back on in like two or three months, you oh, might, yeah? might have some more. Some more info, but we'll stay. We'll stay. Yeah, yeah. Let's we'll do stay it. Locked in, let's man. get. We'll let's get episode in. two out in, the, in a few months' time. <laughs> Exciting times. Yeah, we'll get yeah. chatting to Laurie and talk about. Plenty more to chat about. Well, yeah. Thanks again, thanks, Christian. Man. Really appreciate no, thank it. Thank you. Thank you. That generally was one of my favourite ever conversations on the podcast, and I really did take so much away from it. Firstly, it was just incredible to chat to someone who achieves so much in two different sports. And I mean, you've got to be so high performing to reach the pinnacle in one sport, let alone two. So it was great to delve into his mindset and how he's been able to achieve all that he has. I do think there's a lot to learn from Christian's story, but for me, the biggest takeaway was how he defined success on his own terms rather than caring what other people perceive as success. So for example, when 
initially he thought if he played for England, that would mean he was successful. And if he didn't, that would mean he wasn't. But then he changed his mindset and realised that playing for England was actually out of his control. It was, it was based on one man's decisions. So he decided to switch his mindset and redefine what success meant to him. And I think that's a really important lesson because ultimately, goal setting can be dangerous. If you set a goal that is outside of your control, or has variables that you can't control. So you're probably better off setting targets within your control. And as Christian says, just trust the process and you'll end up reaching your desired end destination. I hope you guys got as much out of that conversation as we did. And yeah, we'd love to know what you thought of it. So please do let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're both really excited about what's to come for this podcast. We've got some big plans coming up over the coming months. So yeah. We'll be back soon with a new episode with another big guest, so stay tuned.